0: I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm going to be saying today, because I believe that this message is from God. Okay, now when I say that, you can come. some people are standing up, getting nervous, you know, what is he talking about? It sounds almost cultic, right? But, but actually, I really do believe that this message is from God, and I believe that for several reasons. One is, I'm in a personal relationship with Jesus, and those of you that know me well know that I, I know the Lord. And so... Um, you know, and so I really believe that's true but beyond that is the fact that I've studied the Bible so I'm studying a passage of scripture and praying over it and trying to understand make sure that it's true but even beyond that is then I will go to other people like I'll study things that other believers in Christ who are really gifted in knowledge and have uh, put things together I'll study what they've written and I'll ask people in this room even and we'll talk about these things so what I'm saying is The message I have, I believe, is from God and should be trusted because I know him. I've studied what he has to say, and I've had other people to confirm it. Now, when I say that, couldn't we say that about every Sunday? Shouldn't we say that about every Sunday? I mean, it really doesn't matter who's speaking, but that person should know Jesus. That person should be studying what Jesus says, and that person should should be checking what they have learned with others to make sure that they're not off in some weird place, right? And so we should be saying that. But the reason we're saying that this morning is because that's what Paul, its precisely what Paul is going to preach as we continue our series on Galatians called Breaking the Law. That's just what he's going to get into. Now, in order to explain him getting into that, we need to go back and look a little bit at the background here. Last week, we kicked off this series. Clifton did a great job. I listened to it on the podcast. That was outstanding and laid kind of the groundwork for us today and what we're going to do. So just a quick review, because otherwise it won't make any sense, is that Paul and Barnabas became the first formal missionaries that we know of to to the Gentiles, or the non-Jews. And they went to a place called... Galatia it was southern Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, and people received Christ and churches were started, and they were all excited. They went back to their home church in Antioch of ancient Syria, and they were all, you know, excited about what happened. And then they began to get some correspondence, and what they learned is after they had left Galatia, some other Jewish Christians had come into Galatia, and they had contradicted their message. They said, in order to actually get to heaven, you have to follow the Jewish laws and customs. You have to be circumcised. You have to follow the dietary practices. You have to do all these rules and rituals. That's what you have to do if you're going to get there. And furthermore, don't believe in this guy, Paul. The people we need to believe in are the elite leaders in Jerusalem. Those are the guys that know their stuff. And Paul was under their authority, and he was a maverick who broke with their authority and made up his own gospel. So don't believe what he has to say. Now, here's where it gets bad, is the Galatians were actually gravitating towards this new gospel, which Paul rebukes as being no gospel at all. Now, Paul's upset, and he wants to straighten it out. Have you ever been in that place in your life before where you just... You feel like you've been falsely accused and you want to try to explain it. But he's in this awkward position where they don't. They aren't trusting him. So he has to build that trust up again. And so what he's going to do today is what I just did at the beginning. He's going to say, first of all, I want you to understand that this message comes from Jesus Christ. It comes from God. It doesn't come from man. Before the New Testament was written, Paul had a supernatural encounter with Jesus that we're going to talk about. So he could say that this came, he knows Jesus, and this came from Jesus. And then second, it's actually confirmed by those elite leaders who actually get behind him and support what he's doing. So that's what we're going to talk about today in a nutshell. Um, As we look at it, uh, I want to take it in sections. We'll look first at Galatians chapter 1 to the end of it, chapter um, 1, verse 11 through the end of chapter 1. Not the end of Galatians, so if you were thinking that. Um, He says, I want you to know, brothers that the gospel I preach is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father's. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, Only James, the Lord's brother, I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Later I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. So we ask the question, why should should they trust Paul's gospel? Um, Because God gave it to him. Paul is really adamant about that from the very beginning. He says, this didn't come from men. Sometimes people kind of act like Christianity uh, is no different than a civic club, right? You know, with a civic club, you agree with the bylaws, you pay the dues, you're in, you're a member. Is that what Christianity is all about? It's something supernatural that's going on here. Neither is it Paul himself. You know, Paul doesn't want them to just trust him like he's some of... Kind of a cultic guru, he's just a regular guy. It doesn't come from human beings; it comes supernaturally. Now, to establish that, he gives a little bit of an autobiographical sketch, which we've been talking about Paul's life. So this will fill in some blanks for us today. Uh, The first thing he does is he goes back to what's recorded in Acts nine and he talks about the trip that he was taking to the Damascus on the Damascus Road. He was going to Damascus, and he was going there to do what? You remember? He was persecuting the Christians there. He wanted to find Christians, arrest them, and put them in prison where they would be tortured and executed. And while he's on this trip, he has this supernatural encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And what happens is we, we, the other people are there. They, they hear voices, but they can't understand it. Paul is blinded by this great light, and he, and he encounters Jesus. And Jesus tells him several things, and basically what he tells him is... By my grace, I am giving you an opportunity to come into relationship with me. You don't deserve it. But notice Paul says, by grace, this is offered you. And then he says, I have an assignment for you. And the assignment is for you to be the apostle to the Gentiles. I want you to, to make this transition. We're having trouble with this transition, Paul. Because, see, what happened is everything started in Jerusalem with the Jews. And we were trying to be sensitive to all their Jewish beliefs. I mean, it was just what we all believed. But we need to transition out of Judaism. This is for the whole world. I want you to give the stripped-down version. A person is saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. There's nothing else you can do. And that's always been what I've intended. And that message needs to be championed by someone. We need somebody who can put some theological words to it and move it on. You ready for that assignment? I already know you are. Because I've prepared that assignment for you before you were born. Is that amazing? Is. I mean, you stop and think about what he's saying there. Uh, and it relates to us today. Everybody in this room will have a Damascus Road experience. What I mean by that is, at some point in your life, Jesus Christ will reveal himself to you. It may be very dramatic. In most cases, it may be mild. It may be several different experiences in your life where you experience the fact that Jesus is real, that there is a God, and that he's there. How will you respond? That's the big question. The second thing is, notice this. Jesus didn't just sort of randomly say, well, Paul, it seems like you're not too busy. I mean, you're busy doing the wrong thing, so let's get you busy doing the right thing. It just, just kind of occurred to me that might be a good thing to do here. This was something he planned before Paul was even alive. And that's not the only place it says that in Scripture. Both Jeremiah and Isaiah say the same thing about their calling. They say that God had prepared this assignment for me in pre-existence. And I think God has done the same for you. Why do I say that? Paul uh, you know, basically summarizes this so succinctly. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Listen to this. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You cannot ever earn your way into heaven. You can only come by faith, by believing in God and surrendering your life to him. But he goes on and he talks about the results in verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now listen to this which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's already prepared it. It's not a matter of you figuring it out. It's just identifying what he's already doing in your life. We're all called to reach out to the people that don't know Jesus that are in our life, but we do that in different ways. We do that with different careers. As we said before, your job, where you're at in school, what you're doing in your life is your ministry. God made you for that before you were born. And so the challenge is, how are you going to use that for him? And that's, that's what he's basically saying here. So he kind of, you know, he starts it off with this, and then um, we see how he responds. You know, what, what does he do? Does he go, does Paul then go to the church in Jerusalem and say, You guys are the elite leaders. I had this vision of Jesus. Now, you know, of course, it, it, it may not have been real, it could have been a 3D deal. Um, you know, it could have been just, you know, they didn't have anything like that in those days, you know, you just, it had to be real, but, but maybe it's not what you wanted them to tell me. But he says, no. He says, this is what I'm supposed to know. And so Paul, who, by the way, you remember earlier, he says, it's kind of ironic because these guys are saying that they're Jews, and he's saying, I, I was more Jewish than they were. I was more zealous to defeat the gospel I'm now promoting than they were, but God so changed my life that I didn't even go and ask anybody else. I didn't need their opinion. I just did what I knew was right. Because you know what the principle here is? If God tells you to do something, you do it. Right? If he tells you to do something, you do it. We don't generally have those revelations like today, but, but the Bible is our source of revelation. And if we do have some kind of experience, we always check the Bible to see, if it lines up, and then we'll know for sure that it was from God. And so Paul, he responds immediately. I mean, he does something right away. Now, the word immediately is kind of a little bit elastic in the Greek. It, it allows for a little bit of time here. And if we go back to Acts 9, some of you that remember the account may say, well, I don't think he came, went right away to Arabia, did he? And, and no, actually, the, the real-time situation was that Paul couldn't see, remember, They took him to Damascus, Ananias prayed over him, Paul's now able to see, took him a couple days to recuperate, then he went out for several days, maybe a week or so, and he hung out with Ananias and the other believers in Damascus, and then he went to the desert, which was right next to Damascus, which was Arabia. And then he was there for probably, the, the wording allows for weeks, months, maybe a year at the most, and then he came back to Damascus. But that's a pretty quick turnaround, isn't it? We tend to hem and haw. You know, we feel like, well, God, I know I, I, need, to, I need to kick that addiction. Um, maybe I'll start tomorrow. Um, Lord, I, I need to share Christ with my grandma. Well, maybe I'll see her next Christmas. Uh, Lord, you know, I, I, I know I, I need to, to, you know, come to church regularly, maybe after summer because it's going to be pretty busy. You know how we do that? But Paul, he's just all in. It's a great example for us. He's just totally all in. There's some interesting observations to make about this trip. People say, well, what exactly happened? What did he go to Arabia for, you know? um, And it doesn't tell us. And there's a couple things that we should keep in consideration. Paul probably, he may have gone there to, to get more, to better understand what Jesus wanted him to do in reaching out to the Gentiles. But in many cases, that's a pretty straightforward Information that Jesus gave him. Uh, a lot of the other stuff was probably filled in by the sermon that he heard by Stephen, by the people he persecuted, by Ananias. He, I'm sure he received some training and discipleship, but there was a specific area that he was called to. And he may have gone there just to commune with Jesus and make sure he understood all that he was supposed to do and get some more insight. Furthermore, it's very possible and maybe even likely that since the Arabians were Gentiles, that Paul began practicing his outreach to the Gentiles right away because God called him to. And so he began doing it and seeing what was going to happen. Then he came back and he continued to do it in Damascus. He probably did a little bit of both. And he's ministering and he's doing what God called him to do. So that sounds pretty good. But then Paul, you know, he's not going to pull any punches. He said, you know, you guys said that I spent time with the apostles, the leaders of the church. And I'm not going to lie to you. I, I, I did. I, I, I did go up there. But I didn't go up there for three years. Pretty long time. Three years. And when I got up there, they, they were mostly all gone on mission trips or whatever. I met, I met James. James was Jesus Christ's brother. And they were grooming him at this time to be the leader of the church in Jerusalem and Judea. And I met him. Didn't spend that much time with him. I spent most of my time with Peter, the main leader who helped start all of this. And you know what I did with Peter? Over 15 days I got acquainted with him, and the Greek word for that is hysteria. What does that word sound like? History? They exchanged histories. They told each other their stories. Isn't that cool? There's nothing much more exciting than exchanging your story with another believer in Christ and hearing what God did in their lives. I encourage you to do that. I mean, that's what these guys did. They just sat there and said, tell tell me about yourself, Peter. Well, you know, he goes on, now tell me about yourself, Paul. And I'm sure Paul told him about this vision that he'd had and everything else. And Peter seems to be good with it. And they really seem to enjoy each other and got to know each other uh, during that period of time. And it's insightful if we go to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. It's really interesting because Paul basically talks about that meeting. He says things that indicate that he's remembering that first meeting. If you go to verse 3, one of the things is they talked about their gospel message, and it ties in with what he says in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse three. Paul says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So they all agree on this, and that he appeared to Peter. Well, there's only one other place where it says that. So he knew that he appeared to Peter because Peter told him. And then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more five hundred of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep or died. No place else is this found. Where would he get this information from? This was probably when they were in the hills of Galilee and Jesus was training them. And so this information appears to have come from Peter. And then he says, then he appeared to James. No place else do we have this. This is where we know that he talked to James. And James said, he came and he appeared to me. Then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one I normally born. He says for I am the least of the apostles. And do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God. He says it again. I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I but the grace of God that is in me. Whether then it was I or they. This is what. And you can underline this word. This is what we. Underline it five times. Preach. We all preach this. James, Peter, and I. This is what we're all preaching together. And this is what you believed. These guys are, you know, sometimes we almost feel like, well, this was Paul's gospel. They were in a different place. They were believing different things. These guys were all together. Um, And so it's good to see that. Now, having said that, not quite that simple. You know, he goes on from there. They, They get along pretty well. Things are going all right. He takes off. And he goes up to, Syria, up to Cilicia, to Tarsus, where he's from, and he ministers there. And then Barnabas comes and gets him and leads him back to this mega church, the first recorded Gentile church in Antioch, and he's ministering there. And then he says, you know, they said that I was under the authority of these elite leaders. I only met Peter for 15 days, and most of the people in Judea didn't even know me. They knew about me. They didn't know me. But you know what they knew? They knew that my life was changed. And that is the most important thing here because how do we know I mean they weren't there to see Paul get this vision so how would they know that that vision came from God? What kind of evidence do they have? Changed life. His life was changed and they praised God for it. Is anybody praising God for changes in your life? You know that's that's something to think about. That's the evidence. Oftentimes, our changed lives are really speak more boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ than our words. And so that happened with Paul. So Paul is able to go back and say, see what I told you? I've just given you all the evidence. This message comes from God. It doesn't come from man. This wasn't from me. And the evidence is my life was changed. Now, he's going to follow it up um, and talk about the apostles. Let's look at the end of this now, starting in chapter 2. Uh, going through verse 10. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus also along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seemed to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. These men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was all, who was working in his life, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So he goes next to these apostles, these elite leaders. And, you know, um, this is where it gets a little bit tricky because we don't know the precise chronology, the historical chronology that took place here. And there are different options. And so we've landed on what we believe is the the right, the correct option. And, And there are... There are benefits to the position, I believe, that we take, which is why we do it, but it doesn't affect your salvation or anything like that. It's just, it all comes out the same, but it is interesting. And, I mean, you could geek out over this. You could say, "Ah, the more I study it, the more real it becomes, but I'm not going to geek out of it because most people aren't geeks on this topic. But what we will do is, is tell you the position that we've taken. Now, if you've heard another position or if you have some questions, Please come and talk to us, and if you disagree with us, just know that you're wrong. <laughs> but, but we'll give you that option, okay? So anyway, what we're saying here is, is it happened 14 years later. According to Acts, Paul makes three trips to Jerusalem. The first trip to see Peter. The second trip, they go down to bring um, resources and, and a gift for relief because of a famine. And the third trip is what we call the Jerusalem Council. We believe this is the second trip. The biggest obstacle is 14 years makes it sound like it would have been later, but there are, there are different options that make that possible. And everything else lines up very nicely with this second trip. And so we see, for example, what happens is Barnabas is going to make this trip. Uh, Agabus says he prophesies there's going to be a famine. This is in Acts 11 and 12. He says there's going to be a famine in Jerusalem. And so Barnabas raises up all this money and support and gifts. And he says, I'm going to go down there personally and deliver it. And Paul has a revelation. And God says to him, Paul, this would be a good time for you to go and update the apostles on what God is doing in your beautiful mega church of Gentiles in Antioch. Why don't you go do that? And so Paul says, okay, I'm going to do that. And he says, why don't you come along with me, Titus. Titus is his friend, and um, you've probably heard of him before. He has a letter that he wrote to him later. He becomes one of the great leaders in the church. He's a young guy at this time. And he says, why don't you come with me? Some think that Titus is sort of like, you know, because Titus is probably uncircumcised. That You know, Martin Luther said he was a test case. He was going to try to stir up some controversy here. But probably not true. He's probably just, you know, like I'm going to take Caesar with me when I go to Cuba. He's just a guy in the church. And in his case, maybe an opportunity for him to say, here's an example of one of the guys that has been in our program, part of our church. And so he takes him with him, and he goes with Barnabas and they head down and when they get there they meet with these guys and he said those guys seem to be leaders. Some think that Paul is being a little bit sarcastic here. But if you read Josephus who also wrote in Greek and who was a contemporary of Paul's and was a great Jewish historian, he uses the same phrase for some men that at the same time he says that he he feels are, are very respectable men. And so it seems like it's more of a phrase that we've lost, kind of an ancient phrase. Probably he's not being sarcastic at this point, um, although what he will point out to the Galatians is that these guys are regular guys, and that will become kind of an increasing theme. These guys are just regular guys. He goes and he meets with them, and he meets with them in private. Remember, the Jerusalem Council is public. He just wants to get the other few guys and sort of powwow and talk through this thing because he wants to make sure that they're all running the race together. He doesn't want the church to be divided. He doesn't want there to be problems. So he's just trying to be a good guy and work everything out with everybody. And they get together, and everybody gets along. And everything's going great. In fact, they say, but we don't even think this guy needs to be circumcised. Let's just forget about all these rules and regulations. You know, let's move ahead. And all of a sudden, these guys basically break into the pu- to their meeting, charge into their meeting, and these are probably guys related to the guys that were in Galatia. And they're all upset, and they're all worked up. And they're trying to get him to go back the other way and saying, he should be circumcised. But Paul and Barnabas do not budge an inch. Are you thankful for that? I mean, it it could have been really hard for us if they had budged. It's important that we don't budge an inch sometimes. You ever think about that? And is there ever, is there anything in your life that you say, no, you can't get me to do that. You can't get me to say that. I'll lose my job over that. I'll break this relationship over that. Is there anything like that in your life? I mean, there should be. It's funny. I was thinking about this in particular, and we could relate it to human trafficking or slavery today. Hopefully, that makes all of you sick to your stomach when you hear about that. You're appalled by it, and you'd do anything to stop that. And yet, there's another kind of slavery that we sometimes will not stand up against. And it's spiritual slavery. It's when people come in and they try to tell somebody, even in your presence, that they have to do all these things to be good believers. They start putting all this stuff on people. And and we need to say, that's not what the Bible teaches. F.F. Bruce, the noted um, scholar, says this. He says, as the gospel of grace liberates, so legalism enslaves. So we need to know our Bibles and there are times when we need to just dig in and say, no, I... You know, we may be, you know, talking at work with some people and people are throwing things around. Say that's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches because it could affect somebody's salvation eternally. So there are times when we say that, and we say that, you know, hopefully in a nice way, but sometimes we've got to dig in, and that's what they did, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, Then it goes on, and it says that he met again with these guys some more, and this time he says that there wasn't anything fancy about them, nothing about their external appearances. And it appears that what he's saying to the Galatians is, all these guys are making such a big deal about these leaders, these apostles in Jerusalem, and you know what? They're just regular guys. It doesn't matter how esteemed a pastor might be in a church or a church leader. If they go away from God, you need to go away from them. He says, These are just regular guys. Let me just emphasize that. But let me also tell you that we all got along. They said, just do what you're doing. In fact... They put me on the same par as Peter, and they called me an apostle. An apostle is one that Jesus has given specific instructions to. He's done that with Paul, so they said, You're the apostle to the Gentiles, and you, Peter, are the apostle to the Jews. That was pretty complimentary, and I felt good about that. And, and they just basically shook our hands, and they said, You guys go to the Gentiles. We'll go to the Jews. And everybody was, was really pretty happy over this whole thing. The only thing they said is, By the way, um, don't forget the poor, okay? Continue to take care of the poor. Would you do that for us? Which is what they were doing. They were down there on a mission to care for the poor. The poor may actually be a reference to Jerusalem church and whole, as a whole because they were poor. Here they were the headquarters of the church, and they were poor, and they needed money to resource other churches and train people. So they saying, please don't forget us. And they said, no, nah, of course we won't forget you. And everybody hugs and shakes hands and all, and they're on their way. Something interesting that Paul does Did you notice how three times he mentions these leaders and not until the very end does he dramatically tell us who they were? These three leaders were the big three. He calls them the pillars of the church. Very, very complimentary. Uh, These were the most important guys in the church at the time. One was James. This is 14 years later. James is now heading up the church in Jerusalem and Judea. The other one is Peter. Peter who, by the way, one of the reasons why this was done in private is because Peter had a price on his head, so he could not show himself in public. So it was probably done in private, partly for Peter. And the other person was Jay, John, who is Peter's right arm. We learned about him, remember, in our Passion Week, and they were working together to train people and help people in ministry. So James, the brother of the Lord, is Jesus' brother, part of the Holy Family. Peter and John are his two best friends. These are great men. And yet, Paul, again, is saying, they are men. They are only men. Good reminder for us. Is there anybody that you elevate too much, maybe even idolize, maybe a Christian speaker, a Christian writer, a Christian musician, a Christian celebrity? That's what Paul is warning against here to the Galatians. Don't put too much stock in human beings. As great as they may be. Now, the good news is that these guys are all, you know, kind of getting along at this point. And it sounds like everything's going to work out. The bad news is there's a lot of hidden ambiguities and things that they haven't addressed. Like, for example, if Paul's ministering to the Gentiles, could he still go and, and speak to the Jews in Jerusalem? Yeah. <laughs> if. Peter is working with them. Could he go to Antioch and speak to all the Gentiles, even though he's supposed to be to the Jews? What happens when they overlap? Can Paul eat with the Jews? Can Peter eat with the Gentiles? What do they do when they get into these kinds of situations? How does it affect their lifestyle? And those things will be ironed out several years later at the Jerusalem Council. The very good news is that these guys eventually all line up and are on the same page. If we go to 1 Peter chapter 1... Peter is writing about 15 years later, and he's writing about these people he's ministered to for a number of years, and guess what? None of them are Jews. They're all Gentiles. So shortly after this, Peter apparently began a ministry primarily to Gentiles too. The oldest document that we have from the church is the didache. It means the 12, and it introduces itself in this way. It says that this is the Lord's teaching to the Gentiles through the 12 apostles. And so they were recognizing the apostles were teaching the Gentiles. Paul is used, but in a very short time, maybe even five years or so, well, not from the beginning. It probably takes close to 20 years from the beginning. But about five years from the time we're talking here, it all switches, and everybody's ministering to the Gentiles. They make this transition that Paul leads the way in. So good news, when people follow God, uh, he can pull it all together. And as Paul will later say in Galatians 3:28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, Male nor female, you're all one in Christ Jesus. Bottom line is these guys confirm what Paul's saying, right? Question for you. What if they hadn't? Think about that. What if they said to him, no, we don't think what you're doing is right. We will not support this gospel that you're, you're sharing. We want to keep it the way it is because it's just causing too much controversy for people in our church. We don't need this. Can you just put it down? What 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 would have Paul done? What should have Paul done? What do you think? Should he have done it? How many people think he should have pressed on? How many people think that he should have backed off? He he would have had to press on, right? He had to press on. But had he pressed on, it would have divided the church and caused all sorts of devastation. But he would have had to do it because that's what God told him to do. And so for us, you know, we try to understand when we teach things from the Bible or we make decisions that are are difficult decisions in our life, we look to the Bible and we pray and we try to follow what the Bible says first, but we also ask other people for their input. And if we find that everybody's disagreeing with us, then it may well be that God is using them to tell us don't do this. We need to be very careful. But there may be a time where we have to take the stand because we're so convinced that that's what the Bible says. Very, very rare, but it it can happen. In this case, Paul doesn't have to because God confirms it for him. And so he's able to tell these Galatians, hey, look, came from God, confirmed by the leaders that you said were against me. Case solved. Now let's move ahead, which you'll we'll do later. But uh, let's look at some applications. How does one get to heaven? Is it enough to be a good person, to go to church regularly, to be baptized, to take communion, to um, be an elder, say? Will that get you into heaven? There was i I don't know if you saw, there's a comic strip recently with Frank and Ernest. Very, some real good theology that you find there every once in a while. And in this one, they had these guys that, that this guy was coming to talk about at the Pearly Gates of St. Peter to see if he could get in, and he's looking at this letter, like, and he says, "No, he says, "No, we don't accept letters of recommendation." <laughs> and that's basically what it is. There's nothing you can do to ever get into heaven except surrender your life to Jesus Christ. It's by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, um, that it happens. Now, in order for that to happen, you first have to know that you have the need. You need to admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, right? You have to start there. I have a need. And then you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave um, to save you. And then you choose. And this is where, by grace through faith, you choose to follow Christ and put your faith in him alone. You trust only in him. And he's the one who does that. And if you've never done that, we encourage you to come and talk with us about that today. The second question is, how has your life changed? A friend of mine recently told me that he went to a memorial service for a lady in her 90s. And her son got up at the eulogy and started talking about how much his mother's life kept changing. The thing that most impressed him is in her 90s, she was still growing in a relationship with Jesus Christ. A lot of times we think, okay, I've, I've, I've read through the Bible once, you know, I've been going to church for a couple of years now, I think I've got it, I'm ready. It's not like that. It never, ever ends. Is your life still changing? What are some areas that you've been growing in in the past week, in the past month, in the past year? What has God been doing in your life that gives evidence that your faith in Him is real? That's your strongest source of witness. And then do you base your decisions on the Bible? as Paul did. I mean, he goes right to the Bible. No matter what any major decision you have to make, it is buying a house, if it's, uh, where are you going to send your kid to school, if it's, where, you, you know, I mean, you have all these decisions we have to make in our life around us. So who, how, how do we share our faith more effectively? Where do we get involved in church? What, all these different things we need to be praying about and say, what would God have us me do? How does this line up with Scripture? And finally, uh, who holds you accountable? Who holds you accountable for the decisions you make? Do you just make the decisions on your own? See, most of us make decisions on our own without consulting the Bible, without consulting others. But as pastors even, we make decisions, a lot of them with each other. We hold each other accountable. We family holds us accountable. We're in small groups that hold us accountable. The Christian life was not meant to be lived alone. So it's something for all of us. And we all need each other uh, to help each other along the way. So... As we kind of wrap this up, I, I just want you to think about making your decisions with Jesus, that when you decide to do something, that you make sure that you, can, you know him, that you consult him first through prayer, you look to the Bible, and you get the confirmation of others. Even when you do that, you'll find that you're still often a minority. But it doesn't matter um, if you're doing what the majority of one calls you to do. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for Paul's example. He was in a tough spot. We get in tough spots like that. Um, Lord, would, would we, as we look at our lives, would people be able to say, yeah, that person really does know Christ, and they really do take what the Bible says seriously? Or would they think, oh, this is just what they got from their pastor. This is just what they got from church. Um, would they know that our faith is real? I pray that they would. Um, And I pray that each of us would either come to know you today, if we don't, or or those that know you would grow more in the relationship with you, uh, always growing day by day, uh, all the way up till eternity. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.